your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Sola. All right, welcome to Thursday. Thursday of Lacrosse Talk PM, 608-785-7914. The guy just said that. I don't know why I always do that, but it's muscle memory at this point. Chris Main is in studio with me. We're going to talk about COVID. This uh, COVID-19 still? Are we still calling it that? Is that what we're doing? Uh, COVID-19, a year and, well, let's see here. Are we hitting, we're almost at a year and a, we're probably over a year and a half now oh, yeah. with yeah, this thing. Sure. Yeah. And we'll talk about that for most of the show, but um, Chris, I haven't been able to, and we were doing this before the show, just kind of g- get your thoughts, but I haven't been able to vent about daylight savings, at their daylight saving, it's singular, daylight saving time. I think it should be plural, but I guess maybe that's just not, grammatically correct haven't been able to vent about that but man it is it's still it's thursday so we've had this four days now we come in here it's it's evening (laughs) it's dark out by the time we leave the show or but you know by the time i leave the show every day it's now dark and i haven't gotten used to it and i i don't know i don't know if i ever really get used to it it's always just kind of a major depression for the next four months are you are you in the same boat yeah yeah for sure Yep, it's a, uh, it's like the quintessential Midwestern thing that we need to complain about, right? Is uh, daylight saving time, but it's yeah, it's tough, man, getting home that dark all the time. I don't know, is it Midwestern? Yeah, I guess so, because obviously the sun's going to be out a little bit longer uh, as you go south. Yeah, right? I think some parts of the U.S. don't have daylight saving. Arizona doesn't. I was say Arizona, I think. and maybe I thought there was one other state, but I can't. Maybe Hawaii, but I can't remember exactly what state it was. Um, but it wouldn't be a Midwestern thing, right? It would be a, like above the a certain latitude or no longitude, right? Longitude long, long. I'm remembering all these yeah, grade school. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Tricks. It, it would be. It'd be a certain latitude. A c- certain longitude across the globe where we complain because the sun's down too early, and then we roll the oh, the clock back. I do have some friends that are pro having the clock the way it is because they're morning people. But it's what are we doing in the morning that we need the sunlight? <laughs> like I'm not, I'm not uh, out in the garden. I'm not walking the. Well, I might walk the dog, but in the morning, I, I don't. You know, usually we're all just, uh, you know, barely enough time to throw a pop tart in the toaster and uh, get to work. Right? That's kind of where I feel like that's where most people are at. Yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not sitting there uh, enjoying my coffee on the porch, watching the sun come up at five thirty now. <laughs> With that so. one song playing. Do 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 do. Um. Yeah, anyone pro daylight not saving time, whatever the clock, whatever we call this normal time, I guess we call it regular. Uh, anyone out there just pro that? I, I, text me 608-785-7914. You have kids though, so the the preconceived notion you brought up before the show was you thought it was a farming thing. That's why we have daylight savings time. And what I've read is it's like a World War One two thing where we're saving energy because we're all home in the evenings if we can push the dark back further than our lights aren't on as long so we don't have to turn the lights on at five we can wait until six or whatever or nine thirty at night i guess in the summer and therefore we're saving energy so it was a saving energy thing because in some country in the middle east wasn't giving the u.s oil at that point so there's that but you know rolling the clocks back now there's the farmers don't care they have lights on their barns and tractors and the light lighting is very efficient but from parents perspective Kids waiting for the bus, kids walking to school, 
that hour, maybe a little bit more of daylight in the morning. I mean, are you really are you willing to sacrifice your kids uh, for for like the, the, the little bit of a daylight you get in the evening? I'm willing to buy them a light for their bike, you know, in order for me to just be able to have some light uh, uh, later in the day. You know, that, that's what I say. Yeah, because when your kids come home, at least the the sun's out an hour longer. You can tell them, do you do the dad thing? Go outside and play. Do you do Constantly. that? Constantly. Always. Always. Oh, really? <laughs> Still. Has, yes. your, has your wife got it where this is my thing is I'll be watching TV. Dad's going to come home at, what, six or whatever when I'm a kid. Mom, you better get outside before your dad gets home. Otherwise, you know, otherwise he'll put you to work. Yeah, no, no, I don't think, I don't think that's it. It's, I think, I think my wife is every bit as uh, interested in having the kids go outside and play too. So, you know, for, for reasons that it's good for them, but also reasons that it's good for parents sometimes. Yeah, just get outside. So you're losing, I guess, yeah, you're losing that, the little bit of light in the evening that your kids could be outside because your kids aren't getting up in the morning and going outside to play before school. No. Um, Is it easier to get kids up in the morning when the sun is out versus not? I don't notice any difference. No difference. Okay. So, and then, yeah, we can, and we have, we have bright enough lights, I think, where kids can uh, hold some kind of lantern or put a light on their bike, or you could, you know, put a lantern out when they're waiting for the bus, uh, teach your kids not to stand close to the road. So cars don't hit them when they're waiting for the bus, regardless of the dark or light, you know, I don't know. But, yep, you heard it here. Chris Main, Viterbo biology professor, willing to sacrifice his kids uh, for some daylight in the, in the evening. So uh, Donald Trump mentioned this. He said hey, he's willing to have daylight saving year-round, so having the clock the other way for year-round, you know, but it didn't stick. I don't know why it didn't stick. Uh, maybe we didn't believe him. Uh, 608-785-7914. So if anyone's got a take on daylight savings, I'm good. We're going to talk about COVID as well. So if you have questions about COVID-19, Chris will take them, so you can actually call me, too. I don't know if I mentioned text or call, but yeah, 608-785-7914. Give us a call. We're going to talk. So this is on the list. Booster shots and how maybe we shouldn't call them booster shots. Uh, children 5 to 11 years old getting uh, being able to be vaccinated now. And that might take up the whole show. And then maybe we'll just go back to daylight savings time. And if we get into it, Aaron Rodgers, but I don't give, think we're going to get into what they want, which is really nonstop daylight savings time discussion. I'm daylight sure. savings. And then maybe at the end, we talk about celebrities weighing in on COVID and how maybe we shouldn't, maybe we shouldn't uh, take, maybe A, the media probably shouldn't jump all over the celebrities and give them all the headlines when they mention COVID. And B, we probably shouldn't listen to uh, celebrities takes on COVID anyway. Um, all right, Brad's got to do the news. We'll be back after this. All right, welcome back to a Wednesday of Lacrosse Talk PM. We'll just say it like that. 608-785-7914 is the talking text line. Chris Main, the turbo biology professor in the studio with me. Also, maybe better better way to introduce you in terms of talking about COVID is an immunologist. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, the I, study of, like, okay, so immunologists, this is a study of how viruses spread or viruses per se? What, how that, would you define So that's more of virologists. So uh, immunologists would study the immune system and immune responses. And so probably my areas of expertise would be, you know, the way our immune system responds to kind of anything. I study autoimmune diseases, but I've also done a lot of vaccine education throughout my career, even prior to COVID. So, yeah. Uh, I get that wrong every time you come in because I don't. 
I don't know why. I'd, and it's in the name, you know, immune, uh, immunologist, immune system. I should probably get that, but I'm so like focused on COVID, a virus. Hey, hey you, got the first, you got the first step, which is remembering that you ask me every time. So that's, yeah, what, you know. that's definitely, and it's, <laughs> I think it's probably important. I think, I think so. No, I think it's good. Um, all right. So what do you want to do first? I, I think maybe the most important thing to talk about First, and then, you know, the, the sly radio thing would be to tease this for later in the show and make you stick around. But 5 to 11-year-olds can now get the vaccine. Is it only the Pfizer version? Only only the Pfizer version. It's, so it's, this is particularly uh, an important bit of uh, information, an important uh, breakthrough in the main household because uh, I have a 12-year-old and a 9-year-old. The 12-year-old got hers as soon as she could, as soon as she turned 12 this summer. And then now the nine-year-old just got her Sunday. So big, big day in the main household. Good feeling. Can't wait for another, you know, five weeks or so when she has had her uh, second one. And then a couple weeks past that, she'll be all protected and will be all covered. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about that personally as well as professionally. Yeah, and, and the way the, the vaccine works for uh, children, it's just a little bit smaller of a dose, right? It's kind of a simple, the simple math. The kids are smaller, so the dose is going to be smaller? Yeah, it, it, it is a smaller dose. It's not purely just based upon size. Sometimes I get that question. Uh, people will ask me, well, my kid's really big for their age. So I was just going to say, yeah. because my dog, when I, if I want to get her some tick medicine, you know, it's always by weight and there's yep. a pretty big discrepancy yep. by weight, but I'm always getting like the 50 to 70 pound, you know, tick medicine. So it's not, so the, the COVID vaccine isn't like tick medicine for dogs. It's not a generally a weight. <laughs> it's not a weight issue. No, it is. It is not. No, it, it, the immune system, many times, these things have much more to do with sort of the age of the immune response or the age, I should say, of the, the immune system in the individual because kids' immune systems are just kind of different than adults, which are then different than the elderly, which is actually kind of the basis of why we see the variance in how severe this illness generally is with the elderly population being the most at high risk than adults and then children lower because of uh, the way immune responses are just better actually in younger people than in older people all right we're gonna get into uh you got your headphones on yeah we're gonna we're gonna call coming up here caller who's this yeah it's joe hey joe go ahead um, you get, why, you're on with chris why would somebody want to give their kids a vaccine when their when their immune system was given to them to protect them um from viruses and and sicknesses the covid vaccine what protection when you said that it was a, a you know protection in the household. What are they being protected from? That their immune system can't because you're an immunologist. I would think an immunologist and an uh, immunologist would would have an understanding that to me I would not get my kids vaccinated. So what do you have to say about that? Yeah, thanks, Joe. Nice to hear from you again. Uh, so. So the question, I think, was why do I get my kids vaccinated and why... We have an immune system. Let your immune system do the thing. Yeah, yeah I, think he's, I think he's trying to argue that our immune systems are particularly great at handling things no matter what. And we do have an amazing immune system. That's why I've spent my life studying it. I think it's phenomenal and it's exciting and interesting, but... You know, you can't argue with the results that our immune system is not perfect, right? We don't get perfect protection. People get infections all the time. People get infectious diseases. People die from infectious diseases. 
And we've lost, you know, over 700,000 Americans to this pandemic. And so I think you can't really argue that the immune system is not perfect. Now, why did I get my daughter the vaccine? Both my daughters, honestly. Uh, well, because there's, you know, sort of this balance that you do. Uh, what is their risk? And what is uh, the risk of them getting infected and passing that on to someone else? And so there's multiple things here. But people will often say, well, COVID isn't that severe in kids. And that is true as compared to adults or as compared to the elderly. But COVID was still the number six killer of children in 2020, right? So think about that. So even though, you know, let's say it's somewhere between 500 and 700 kids died, maybe that's not a very big number, but that's a lot of kid deaths in my opinion. And kids aren't supposed to be dying is a big takeaway message here, right? So it's the number six killer of kids. If do you we can eliminate the number six killer of kids, why wouldn't you do that? Do you remember some of the other, like the top? Number one is malignant neoplasms usually as far as like uh, health conditions. So okay, like, so these are all going to be cancer. Right? These are going to be cancers. weird like health situations that are taking that, That's kids. what these top six that I'm. Okay, assuming. because like number two isn't like bicycles crashing into well, ac- school yeah, buses accidents and oh it like is that. okay sure. yeah, yeah all right so it's yep. six on the list well and that's the thing too is um kids are so there's there's a couple of different things with with kids getting covid are are they okay when they're so we're back in school kids are masked i think for the most part most schools i think are doing masks um they're back in school maybe they they get covid they're not as susceptible to becoming affected by it but when kids come home if they get COVID at school, are they are are they going to show signs that they have COVID less often? Show signs, show symptoms than maybe if I got COVID or my grandma got COVID, so to speak. Are, am, am I going to be more symptomatic, I guess, than a kid? I think, I think likely, right? That I think because kids are not as affected by it, they are probably more likely to be asymptomatic. Which, but what we do know that's been studied is that they are still just as likely to spread. And so this is one of the things that was asked earlier. Are kids less likely to spread? That would be nice, but it turns out it doesn't seem so. So right now with schools opening back up, you know, kids are probably a contributor to the spread that we still have going on in our community, right? And so I think, you know, to also get back to Joe's point about, you know, why would I do this? He said, I wouldn't do this. Well, I appreciate him recognizing that as an immunologist, I do do know about this stuff. And I, I think it's important to to check out, like, how many pediatricians aren't getting their kids vaccinated? How many immunologists aren't getting their kids vaccinated? How many virologists aren't? And the answer is pretty much every one of us who have spent our lives studying this sort of stuff are getting our kids vaccinated because we recognize the value in it, not only for our own kid, but for everybody. And so uh, I, I think that's that's an important thing to recognize. And, and you know, everyone who knows this stuff is, is getting it done, you know. All right, we'll go back to the phones. If you have questions, call 608-785-7914. If you have questions about COVID or maybe daylight savings, but COVID generally. Uh, caller, who's caller? Who's this? This is J3. Hey, go ahead. You, you got a question for Chris? Yes. I'd like the definition of a vaccine because I don't think this is a vaccine, in my opinion, or my belief anyway. Number two, is aborted fetus used in this vaccine? All right. Thanks. Great questions. All right. So definition of a vaccine. So this is a a common one people bring up. Definition of a vaccine and is this a vaccine? So there are many, many, many kinds of vaccines. A vaccine is giving a dose of something that primes an immune response specific to an infectious agent or a component of an infectious agent. 
And so what we're doing here is you're thinking of the, so the reason a lot of people will say, I don't think this is a vaccine is because it's a different kind of vaccine, right? This isn't also, is this like question number one on the first test that you give out in whatever class that you're teaching? Oh, yeah, we do, <laughs> we do. We do the types of vaccines. And yeah, is it A, B, C, or D, or yeah. do I have to write it out? Write oh, out no, a little bit of both. We have some of each for every, every, every uh, thing you like. All right. Why yeah. are people not calling COVID-19's vaccine a vaccine? Well, where you're hearing this is from people who are not good actors, right? They're, they're, they're trying to stoke misinformation, often for their own pro, uh, profit, and because they profit off of fear, right? You know, it's, it gets them clicks, it gets them information, it gets them to sell other things, right? But a vaccine, you know, let's say we give a killed uh, virus, that's the most classic and old-timey way of making a vaccine, it's still done today in some of them. You can give a piece of a virus, like a little protein from it. And so this is like that. That's called a subunit vaccine. In this case, we're just giving the directions on how to make that subunit. Your cell makes that subunit for you, and then you raise an immune response to it. Now, the advantage of the mRNA vaccine and why they took off in this particular pandemic is because we needed them immediately, and they can be made super fast, relatively cheap, and gotten out the door. So the more traditional types of vaccines that our caller was talking about, those have been pursued in, say, China and Russia. They have theirs. They're not as a, a, a effective in this case, and China and Russia don't have the same stringent safety standards the U.S. does, and so we can't really use those vaccines that they're using. There are some coming through the pipeline eventually in the U.S. as well. Chances are they won't be terribly marketable. They'll be around just because we already have ones that we know are really good. And then the second question was, is aborted fetal tissue used in making these vaccines? It is not used in making the mRNA vaccines. A cell line that came from a fetus aborted in 1970 in, I believe, Sweden, somewhere in Europe. Uh, that cell is called HEK293 is one of them. Uh, I believe that's the one. Was used. Uh, yeah, that's, the, I can confirm that. No, I'm just kidding. In, in the production <laughs> of the Johnson & Johnson, it's a packaging line. So, But this line you know, is so far removed from that, and it was you know, from a, a legally aborted fetus in a whole different country. But it, it's only used... Not has nothing to do with the fact that it's fetal in origin. It's just a really good factory at packaging these little vaccines that the Johnson & Johnson one is. The fetal lines were not, are not used in the production of the mRNA vaccines. All right. So this is all information I would have had, Chris. I thought maybe you would deep dive a little bit better. On the, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> What's well, the 1970s? This is very confusing I'm, to me. I'm still something, just trying to prove to Joe that I know what I'm talking about. Something all, in, you know, something so. from the 70s in Sweden's Johnson. What? Oh, so that was the, the, the fetal line uh, that our most recent uh, caller was talking about. Comes from a country in Europe, I think Sweden, off the top of my head. Uh, and it's, a, it's from... A fetus that was aborted back in 1970, legally in that country, right? And these cells just happen to develop in a dish to be ridiculously good at packaging things that are like viruses, little virus-like particles. And we just preserve this line since yeah. for the the next what 50 years or something. Sure, that we in, in science we study cells in a dish for all kinds of reasons, and you know that one is fetal in origin, but I've used ones that are kidney in origin, skin in origin, mouse skin in origin. Uh, I use mouse T cells, mouse B cells, human B cells. So all these are what are called immortalized cell lines. They've gained some sort of mutation that allows them to grow in a dish kind of forever. So we can use them to study things before we put them into people, for example. So we're not endangering people. We're studying toxicity and things sounds like, like that in a dish. Sounds like you're keeping cells in cages. 
<laughs> yeah. This is very, I mean, how do the cells feel about them. this? I feed them. You, feed you know, them. you feed them. Yeah. yeah, but they're just in this dish. You should give them a bigger dish at least. Maybe well, put we it. do. You have to because they, they'll outgrow the dish and that, they're not happy with that. <laughs> so it's true. Um, all right. Chris Mayen, Viterbo biology professor, immunologist, continuing with us. Uh, we got to get a break in Scott's comment. Brad doing the news coming up. All right. Welcome back to the Crosstalk PM. 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line. Chris Mayen, Viterbo biology professor in here, immunologist. Sometimes I think the show in between the show, the commercials, yeah. the show that we're doing off the air, <laughs> is, is sometimes a little bit a little bit better than the, the show. Uh, yeah, put up the outtakes. Yeah, like they do that on, uh, what is it, pardon the interruption sometimes. Oh, they just sure. When yeah, they yeah, go to commercial, that, but yeah. they kind of keep the camera going. They yeah, don't yeah. go to commercial immediately. Yeah, they hear their banter and stuff. Yeah. yeah, which is always sort of interesting. Um but uh, and then just trying to you know we're 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 trying to talk to discuss what we're going to talk about next. But then we get off uh, off the rails on whatever it is, and sure. then we're starting to do show off the air. And sometimes when we try to bring that back, it's harder to do on the air again. But I will say, like when we're talking about kids and the COVID nineteen vaccinations and five to eleven year olds now getting vaccinated, you know, I talked to the Lacrosse County Health Department. She said, you know, now that kids are able to do this, the parents that are kind of on the fence, you know, might be more likely, oh, okay, it's it's proof for kids. Now my kids can get it, and I haven't decided to get it yet. But you know what, now I think I, you know, hopefully that that, that springs uh, some parents to, to go to go down and get vaccinated as well. Um, sure. Is this going to be the norm at some point? I don't have kids. So when your kids are born at some point in their lives, they get immunized for a bunch of things, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, many, many, many things. Yeah. And I, if I was guessing, you know, we don't know yet right now, it's only, you know, five uh, and up, you know, we're going to keep doing clinical trials younger. It's just, you always start older and then move down. And I would not be surprised in the least if eventually this was a childhood vaccine, like everything else. Uh, I haven't heard people, you know, say that that's some uh, end goal that we can get that done, but I don't, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, we're all used to our childhood vaccines. We get our, all our childhood vaccines for the most part. And, you know, it's it's a part of life, and we're then protected from, you know, all of these things that you know are diseases people probably don't even hear about anymore because we just take for granted that we're protected by them when we get immunized as children. Yeah, I wonder how much how, how much money are, are parents getting when they subject their kids to the trial. I wonder what, what how much of, money they're yeah, getting. I'm just know, curious. Like What's the benefit? You know, nothing, like it's a, <laughs> nothing. It's you 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 voluntarily uh, enroll in these in order to push forward. Um, Medicine, oh, there's no, there's science. no monetary benefit to it. It's just, no. just the fact that your kid will be immunized you, you before. Hope, you hope, yeah, that they get into the non-placebo trial, but the 50-50 shot, right? And so, you hope you're in the treatment trial, and if not, you accept the fact that, hey, I'm making a voluntary uh, uh, aid in moving the scientific process forward. That's why, I, whenever scientists or uh, clinicians talk about, you know, the work they do, they thank all of the participants at the end because without it we would never have any of these answers all and the information i give you is from these clinical trials where we had volunteers and when we do these clinical trials is there always a you know one batch is going to get a batch of whatever it is the trial and one batch is going to be placebo so they're essentially yeah. getting an m&m or whatever yeah, double double blind placebo trial so it can't be an m&m it has to actually be a shot that looks exactly like the original shot that gets injected it's salt water generally saline right and uh, not only does the patient not know what they're getting, the nurse can't know, uh, and so it's double blind. It's blind to the patient and it's blind to the providers until in the very end, it's essentially have some codes that get 
you know, the code gets broken and you start figuring out who populates each category. This is how we get at the idea of making sure there's no bias, even subconsciously, that the nurse treats the person who got the vaccine, you know, nicer. And so they feel better. Right. Something like that. And when we go through these trials, then any kind of effect that the person has is just gets reto- reported to whomever is running the trials. But when you were talking yeah. off the air, the, the during the kids, sure. children, five to 11 trial, uh, one of the side effects was, or, or I don't know, if, is it a side effect? I don't know how to catch. Adverse you, event. Adverse you, tell event. me how this comes yeah. out. So basically, right, the parents don't know. The kids don't know whether they got the vaccine or they didn't get the vaccine. And so you'll hear all these interesting stories of people being like, I was sure my kid got the vaccine because they felt so crummy the next day, you know. And it turns out, well, kids feel crummy sometimes. So they just happen to randomly uh, feel sick because they had gotten the placebo, they found out in the end. But you're required to report when you're part of these trials any adverse effects or anything you feel. I'm a little headachey. They complain. They're pretty tired. Uh, they're feverish. And those are, again, the most common side effects in kids, just as they are in adults. All the same. But the funniest part that I loved, because it only see this in pediatric trials, was one of the adverse events that was reported was kid swallowed a penny. So I'm going to go out on a limb and say that probably didn't have to do with the treatment, but it was still, you know, reported because anything that happens with the kids during these trials, you report it. And so one of the adverse events was kid swallowed a penny, which is uh, very cute and funny. I mean, that that was uh, my childhood. If my mom's listening right now, she'll start texting in all the things that I swallowed. I know I, sm- I swallowed a lot of a lot of nuts. I don't think I swallowed any bolts, but dad working in the garage anymore <laughs> and, and saying nuts, I understand for anyone that's got a mind like mine is automatically going to go to the immature Much more player. like you ate food. That, so that I, seems normal. Yeah, actually. nuts right there. That too. Uh, marbles, a lot of marbles, quarters, pretty sure. I, I feel like my mom had to go through a lot of my quote unquote stool to find, to make sure that I pass whatever it is I swallowed. Jeez, you sure, you don't, you, sure you don't want to have kids here, Rick? This sounds so, so very, uh, right. like a but, fun uh, time. But I wonder that the 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 what did you call it? adverse event adverse event yeah. adverse event of swallowing a penny did we figure out if that was placebo or or actual I don't uh, remember which don't group remember. that was in which which group but I'm I'm pretty sure probably not attributable to the vaccine yeah. anyway <laughs> we're gonna throw that one off well that brings up the 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 you you talk about that website a lot of the times and one was something about incredible yeah. the Incredible yeah. Hulk or yeah something. Fair, fairs is a is a open sort of. Uh, way that people can submit adverse events and it's intentionally meant to grab any potential thing no matter how off the wall or unrelated it might be and so that swallowed a penny one was reported to VAERS and it you might still be able to find it on VAERS but because of this it can also be taken advantage of and so in that case the kid really did swallow a penny it's not related to the vaccine but it still gets submitted right <laughs> uh but is that yes, a mom it, just being super cautious, you think? or I think also following the rules of the trial. You yeah. report everything, you know, and, and, you know, some of them will be ridiculous and goofy. And so the, the people who study this then have to identify, you know, is this realistic that this would have to do with the actual clinical trial or is it an unrelated event? And as you get more and more people, you'll find, hey, the number of pennies swallowed in the placebo group was exactly the same <laughs> as the number of pennies <laughs> swallowed in the vaccine. All of a sudden up. there's a big penny swallowing discrepancy and then it leads to actually the johnson and johnson vaccine is leading to a lot of children swallowing pennies it's a weird side effect that we're seeing here across the nation and across the globe uh it's weird too because in europe they don't even have pennies so i don't know how that even came about Uh, we'll go to the phones uh caller who's this hello oh wait let me turn the phone on now go ahead who is this sorry this is greg hey greg you got a question for chris yeah um Back in the, uh, I think it was in the 50s or 60s, there was a drug that uh, uh, women were taking to uh, when they were pregnant to uh, 
I think the purpose of it was to avoid uh, late-term miscarriages. And later on, they found out that their children then were having children with birth defects from it. Yeah. And late night is filled with ads for lawsuits about drugs that have been used but now have been determined are uh, dangerous or their side effects that uh, they're suing over. With the relatively short window that we've developed this, these vaccines and, the, and that the technology for mRNA is, is relatively new, and I believe this is the first time it's been used in human beings, what's our assurance that there aren't long-term side effects down, down the road on these? Yeah, right. thanks, that's, Greg. That's a, that's a great question, and it really gets at one of the, the common things that everyone's concerned about, and it's, it's natural, right? The, this seems new, and, you know, new things are things that we sometimes are a little worried about. Have we really been careful enough? So first to get at, I think it was Greg's point, he was talking about thalidomide, which was used to prevent morning sickness back in the day and led to developmental defects in some children. It actually was never FDA-approved for that uh, use in the U.S. Uh, it was being used off-label. It was a much larger issue in Canada. Uh, but, yeah, so the point overall being, what about surprising effects? And what I can tell you is that vaccines and their side effects uh, are well-known. We've been studying vaccines for a very long time, right? And vaccine adverse events pretty much all happen within weeks of the vaccine, if not within the first few months after a vaccine. So even some of the more severe vaccine adverse events that have happened at extremely rare rates, uh, like say Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is not with these vaccines, but one of the flu vaccines many years ago had barely increased levels of Guillain-Barre, happens within the first several weeks or a month after a vaccine. So we know because of that. To get at the other point, this mRNA vaccine technology is new in that it's newly approved to be used fully. But the first mRNA vaccines were tried in human trials. So the first humans were injected with these sort of mRNA vaccines in trials five to seven years ago. So we have had humans, we have humans right now walking around who were injected with mRNA vaccines five to seven years ago. We have people who got the COVID vaccines now, gosh, I don't know, 15 months ago at least, probably longer than that even now, uh, in these original clinical trials. And so we have had people for a very long time. So often what I ask people, well, uh, vaccine side effects never have been beyond six months, right? We now have, you know, 7 billion doses that have been given across the globe, right? And a lot of those people have now had it for over a year. You know, at, at some point, I think we can start recognizing, hey, you know, if, if there was a major thing going on here, we would have seen it by now. Um, I don't know how how up to speed are you on like the is it a Merc, is it Merck the Merck pill? Sure, yeah. Would that be something that like oh I don't know down the road adverse effects from the Merck pill? I mean that's a, that's a little bit different, right? It's a yeah, pill, and I honestly don't know enough about the Merck pill to know what you know it's it's a uh, target pathways are and potential side effects to look at or anything like that necessarily. I just know it's a, also another you know exciting breakthrough in a, a frontline treatment for once someone gets it. You know, vaccines are a different deal in that they prevent you from getting the thing in the first place or from at least getting a severe uh, case if you do get it. And so kind of two different ways. The more layers of protection, the more layers we have to approach this pandemic, the better, though. So, hey. The Merck pill is kind of like NyQuil, right? Like I've, I'm already sick and now give me some Merck pill to kind of like <laughs> to kind of like fight what I what I already have, right? A little I, I, bit. I suppose so. Like I, hadn't it, thought, I hadn't thought of it that in way. In like the yeah. dumbest, like in the, the no. like we got. I got to relate to how I'm taking medicine. I think there's no nothing wrong with that, man. I just hadn't 
I hadn't considered that. And I, and I don't know enough about the Merc, uh, Matt. I haven't read up on it enough to really talk a lot about that. Yeah, I'm waiting for the the NyQuil version of Merc, the Merc pill, where I can drink it. And it's got a little booze in it, too. So I, <laughs> that was a, That's what I was, uh, was going to say. It's like, I don't think it comes with the shot of alcohol. Um, Southside Tom's calling in. Tom, you got a question for Chris? Not exactly, Rick. Let me say something. You open your show by saying, what do you think about daylight savings time? You haven't uttered a word about it since. Okay, yeah, that's right. It was <laughs> it was kind of a light way to open the show. Um, Eric's calling in. Eric, you got a question for Chris? Yeah, I do. First of all, I got my uh, uh, first COVID shot on January 20th, my second one on February 17th. And a couple of weeks, a week and a half ago, I went and got my booster shot, Moderna, over to the VA hospital in Toma. Nice, and, I, and I'm wondering, I guess I'm pretty good to go, am I not? Yeah, so that's a perfect segue to the other thing we were hoping to talk about, which is boosters. And, uh, and you know, I, I was talking with Rick, and I was like, you know, eventually I think we probably won't even refer to this as booster because I think what it's looking more and more like is it's looking like this might be essentially a three-dose vaccine. So different vaccines have different uh, numbers of doses you get in the series. Now, it turns out most of us don't think about this very often because, again, we get most of our vaccines as kids, right? And so most of us don't know that, you know, for tetanus or for what's called Hib or some of these, we've gotten several of them many times, multiple within our first year of life. Like tetanus, you might get several within your first year of life, but, you know, you're a baby, so you don't exactly remember that. And so it is looking with the, the levels that this has bumped our antibodies up when people get their third dose or their booster, that that uh, is probably going to hang for a while. Now, no guarantees on anything, right? Uh, but, you know, it seems like the levels that those are at are probably going to be pretty protective for a while, working under the assumption that we don't get some variant that can avoid our, our vaccination immunity or something. But so far, so good. The, the booster is really looking like it's helping a lot of people out and that this third dose is probably going to be recommended for most people eventually. Yeah, it's almost, uh, and we can, I got to take a quick break here, but the idea of calling it a booster is probably like a little off, um, just like calling the Merck pill NyQuil is a little bit <laughs> off. If we if we did call the Merck, quil, yeah. Merck pill something like NyQuil or, or some weird way to, it's just the easier way to like tell people, hey, it's a booster. It's yeah, just I, the easier. I think, it's, I think it's a fine communication. Just probably we'll be, end up all getting that third shot eventually. All right, we got to take one more break. Awesome. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. A couple minutes left here with Chris Mayen, the Viterbo biology professor and immunologist. Um, Chris, I, I didn't talk to you about this. I usually start the show, but we did a daylight saving show to start today. Um, how much more interest does your classes when it deals with immunology? Uh, how much more interested are your kids or your students? They're not kids. Uh, are your students because COVID's going on? And and do you see maybe more people in your classes because of the pandemic? So, I mean, at Viterbo, I, I teach people who are going on to be doctors, going on to be PAs, PTs, and then also going on to be nurses. And so there's never any shortage of nursing students at Viterbo. Okay. We've always had a lot of those. Uh, I do see an increase in the number of times people ask questions about it. Um, or, you know, relate things to COVID because it's the, it's the life they've known. And we've talked about this before. It's, you know, challenging for me to know how often do I bring in this real world experience of the pandemic and how often do I, you know, also not use that as every single example because it could just be exhausting for them. But it yeah. will be a part, if they want to go into healthcare, it's going to be a part of their life for, you know, the near future for quite some time. And it's had an enormous effect on healthcare. So I think it is important that they know about it and, and learn about it. I haven't gotten to teach immunology yet, uh, since the COVID pandemic, but I am 
quite certain it will increase uh, interest in that class because I've gotten asked about it a lot. I guess there could be a flip side to this is that you're, you're, you know, teaching whatever and then you bring up COVID and, and you get the eye roll like, really, we're going to talk about COVID again. Can we do something else? I don't know if you're, you know, that might be a case too. I, I think, I think sometimes, right. Because it has, you know, it's affected uh, these, these folks life a lot, you know, and it's, uh, you know, they've, they've, you know, had tip to them. They've made sacrifices, right. In, in their own personal lives and, and things like that in order uh, to help their surrounding community. And so I'm sure it is exhausting to them at times too, but yeah. Uh, two minutes here. Let's just get this out of the way. The, the, we go back to the booster shot, which might just become a series of shots uh, that we get on, on you know, we, we a three-shot series, and that's what everyone gets, and we should be good for, I don't know, we won't know how, how long yeah, at this so. point. Right. But um, should should we, the FDA, Pfizer is trying to get the FDA to approve the, the booster. Are, are, we, are we good? Do we need that at this point? So, you know, I, I think, we're doing it the right way right now and that we're prioritizing the people who need it first. Right. And so it's been approved both Pfizer and Moderna for say elderly populations for people who uh, are immunosuppressed uh, and then people in high risk uh, careers or high risk, uh, high exposure areas. And so I think that's the important prioritization. I personally would love to see a lot of these vaccines leave our country, honestly, and go to other countries across the globe uh, that, have really had zero vaccine access yet because this is a global health crisis and there are countries in you know really rough shape when it comes to vaccine access that we could help and it, i think it's our responsibility as you know a global powerhouse to help and so i would love to see that happen and that's important for us too right because if we don't get other countries up to the immunity that well we're not even doing that great i think we're at like 55 percent in the state um, the, the, there could be more variants, right? Right. Even from a purely selfish perspective, we should want to get as many countries fully vaccinated as possible to keep another Delta from coming around, right? Another variant that's, that becomes problematic for us. Okay. We have 30 seconds. Why haven't we heard anything about another variant? It's still Delta. Can yeah. You- yeah. It's, it's a great question. Undoubtedly the virus is mutating all the time. It's what viruses do, but it seems that Delta is a very fit virus it's it's really really good at spreading and just so far delta i think has outcompeted uh pretty much any challenger and so it's the one that's spreading the most it's around the most because it is the most infectious it's the Giannis anadokounmpo of, of variants like we have <laughs> this this get this delta variant is sticking around there's new rookies coming into the nba there's new players there's players getting better but they haven't eclipse the delta variant they sure. haven't right sure except for Giannis is, is much much kinder and nicer and uh more fun to be around uh than delta certainly all right chris hey thanks a lot for joining us this hour all right thanks man all right that's gonna wrap it up thanks everybody for listening uh i have no idea what we're doing tomorrow we'll see <laughs>